The Fontenelle Final Bell Podcast is presented by Fontenelle Hybrids. The solutions you need, the relationships you trust. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. As Sue Martin joins us with Ag and Investment out of Webster City, Iowa. Nice to talk about a turnaround Tuesday, Sue, today as we look at these markets. Uh, you talked about, though, being a little bit bullish for corn because a uh, demand-driven market that we have out there. Well, it is. Um, I think that uh, the report was very friendly in of that uh, we had global supplies uh, reduced again, and you know, if we look just from 2016-17 to 2017-18 uh, for corn, global supplies have decreased by 41 million metric tons in China alone, and um, and then you know we had another further reduction here today, and and it wasn't. Here's the thing, it wasn't just corn that we seen global supplies. Um, reduced nicely and in the U.S. as well it was also coarse grains in both the U.S. and globally and when you get coarse grains being reduced and wheat being reduced and corn which is part of coarse grains being reduced then all of a sudden that really starts to tighten the alternatives and it just continues to support the market You know, we've been talking about for some time here over these trade tariffs and dropping the market and you run hot and cold and what have you and, and, uh, but the ultimate trend has been down because of the uncertainty. But, and we need NAFTA to be, um, you know, made agreements on and especially with Mexico. If we could get Mexico lined up, that would have much, um, more benefit to corn, of course, pork, but corn and poultry as well. Um, if we could get an agreement set. But that one won't happen until after July 1st because that's when their presidential elections are and they aren't going to do anything now before those. But the fact that we're reducing uh, global supplies and domestic supplies in corn, coarse grains, and wheat, I think that just is setting the stage. And, you know, when you talk in trade tariffs, you're worrying about your demand going away and... Um, and, of course, yes, through that, then you would increase your supply. But, basically, that's demand talk that we're looking at. We're in demand-driven markets. Our lows were made on supply when we got down to 301 in 2016. But uh, it's the demand that, you know, you get these hard breaks, and we find exports and demand and what have you. Even Mexico was in our market today. You know, you talk about Mexico, and I had a conversation earlier this week with a producer that said, you know, dairy, it's, yeah, something in ag's got to give, so let's let it, let it be dairy. And I looked at him, I said, but where do you sell your corn to? And he hadn't thought about it in that aspect. He, he had thought, you know, it's just another form of agriculture that's being tariffed. But when he thought about, oh, yeah, wait, my corn goes to a dairy farm, which then makes the milk, which makes the cheese. He's, and it's just a, it's a wicked wheel right now. It is, and, um, you know, we look at dairy, and I look at milk, and, of course, God only knows, these uh, dairy uh, people have really suffered greatly this year. Milk prices have been pretty cheap. You know, we've had a recent rally and come back now and trying to look at the lows, but, you know, one thing that China needs is milk, powdered milk, uh, what have you, but they're in need of milk, and so I do think, just like corn, 
the longer term outlook for milk i think is turning a corner and i think as we go down the road as we move towards the end of this year into next year i think milk prices are going to be better and just like every aspect of agriculture, the need to get these trade talks done and, and not have agriculture used as the as the playing card for these negotiations. Well, and unfortunately, and I know there's other products too, like cars and what have you, but food is always such a major, major item when they start getting into trade wars because food is what keeps people from revolting or what have you, and that's the last thing that they want over in China. North Korea, look at how people have defected. He's aware of it. You know, he's a young, a young leader. He's only like in his mid-30s, and he's been in power, what, since 2011, for seven years. So I think that, I think he was 26 when he went into power. That's young. And um, I think that uh, he's made some pretty bad moves. But on the same token, I think he realizes his future may be a whole lot brighter if Kim Jong-un allows uh, for, you know, to kind of loosen his his power, so to speak, and let imports come in and try to make the lives better for everyone in his country. He'll have a lot, he'll be way wealthier because he's a dictator. But in the meantime, I look at China, and you know, China does these five-year plans. And in 2015, Xi Jinping came up with a new five-year plan in which he was looking at by the end of 2020, eradicating poverty. And I think we've talked about this maybe before, but, um, you know, about 493 million people in China live on $5.50 a day, about 36, 37% of the population. And then you look at, I uh, want to say another 46 million people, 46, 43, something like that, are living on 95 cents a day. That's, that's poverty. And if he's really wanting to eradicate that, well, that had to have started in 2015 anyway. He wasn't going to wait till the last minute. But what does that mean? It means energy, food. Those are your major items. And both energy and food help drive wars. And so consequently, he, you know, he got it fixed that he could be or agreed upon that he could stay in office beyond the regular time frame. And if he gets this done which is a big feat. But if he gets it done, that means that he's going to be a very favored uh, leader of China and he'll stay in office for a long time. He came from agriculture. And so Xi Jinping, my take is every time we knock the socks out of the market because of, you know, how, you know, we keep hearing this hot and cold talk between China and the U.S. and, and buy what they need for food a whole lot cheaper. Definitely. But stick around, folks. We've got more of the Fontenelle Final Bell coming up after this on the Rural Radio Network. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. Sue Martin joins us with Ag and Investment out of Webster City, Iowa. We talked a lot about uh, trade and the, the effects that we're going to see, Sue, in the markets. And obviously, this is just the tip of the iceberg. And it's going to continue to build in the next couple of weeks as negotiations and discussions continue in all avenues uh, of trade with the U.S. Well, I think so. And... Um you know, once these discussions will end up getting solved, I mean, this isn't going to be an ongoing eternity of things that we have to deal with. It will get solved. And I can't believe, but what, you know, as President Trump has said, 
if they don't give in and come around to some degree on negotiations to where it makes it more of a better level playing field that we can he's after balancing that budget and getting that trade deficit down if he can get that job done that's a big coup for him but on the same token he's going to get it one way or the other either they come around and start negotiating and making some agreements or he's going to just tariff the heck out of them and you know what they send more to us than we're sending to them so that's the bottom line of all this so consequently we'll get the money through the tariffs if that's what we have to do are we seeing i know that the the combines are definitely rolling moving from the south uh harvest pressure going to continue for the wheat well, I think weed is a market that, you know, it suffered here a little bit as well. Uh, the report was friendly wheat. Um, you know, not only global supplies decreasing, but domestic again in the U.S. And hard red wheat coming down, one of the best, which we expected. But also, I think that um, when I look at wheat and look at demand, you know, wheat's one of the first lines of food. Um, China, if we start to see, and the USD is going to do this, they were going to do it in May, and they didn't. They changed their mind at the last minute, and they haven't done it yet. But their plan is to pull Chinese data out of the equations and set it aside because China doesn't export wheat. It uses all the wheat they have. And so, consequently, there's such a big, I mean, they hold, what, 42% of the world's wheat? So, I think that... Um, and they're a producer, a large producer of wheat, but they use it all. So I think that that's going to be interesting when they start pulling that out. It'll really make it more noticeable about the rest of the world's specs as to just how, how we are. You know, the bean market is one negative. And that was a market that didn't really hold well today after the report, even though it was friendly in, of course, U.S. supply-demand numbers being... Uh, ending stocks coming in at 385 million when the average guess was 440 million. That was a big surprise for the U.S. supply. But our stocks as a percent of usage, um, if you look at back in May, it was to be 9.4 percent. Now it's down to 8.7 percent. And in June of, um, the old crop, 1718, sitting at 12 percent, you can see the, the direction. And yet, I think the reason the bean market couldn't, even after the hard break we've had, couldn't seem to grow legs and, and rally real well and hold it is because uh, CONAB and the USDA both came out with Brazilian production estimated right at around 118.9 million metric tons, so 119, and the average guess was around 117.3. You know, I thought maybe the USDA would come up to 118, but they followed CONAB both in corn in the reduction on corn in brazil from 89 down to 85 a big reduction and the usda followed right along with them in both uh, numbers let's jump over to the livestock side of the trade sue the, these cattle have seen um one called it kind of lack of support and not a lot of direction when it comes to the the cash complex for live cattle well i think the cattle market um We've had a nice rally in the cash. And I think that uh, when we look at the cattle market here, um, you know, we've traded both sides of the market today. Um, I don't think that was out of line because last week we ended the week with some pretty sharply higher trade on Friday. And then we came into the markets on Monday, 
and they just they opened high, but they couldn't hang on to it. The market acted very disappointing, and I think it acts like it's just kind of catching its breath. Which, if the market, and I'm bullish cattle, but if it's the market, I think it is. It's not a market that really takes off and just runs either. It's stair steps, and so once we get June cattle off the board, then I think the August will gain more strength. But demand has remained better than expected, and I think the bears have been surprised by that. And, um, you know, the fact today that um, the supply-demand report for corn uh, lowered in feed usage for both corn and coarse grains makes me wonder when you've got more cattle, more hogs, more chickens than a year ago, you know, maybe there's been a, the USDA is kind of implying there has been a bigger disappearance in the um, uh, cattle market pork. Hey, Sue, for folks to catch up with you and talk more markets. Well, our number is 1-800-527-0051, and you all have a great day. And that's the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.